Good morning, everyone. I'm Ilsian, and as Carla said, I am related to him. Um, <laughs> we're married. Um, and I get to be part of the team here at Evergreen. So welcome for those of you joining us online. Thank you so much for being present. And um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to share with you. You probably already know, though. Did you know that the number one song on Billboard's Hot 100 for five weeks in a row now is... We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. But it, I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna torture you like that. But it's actually been going on for such a while. I saw this post. You know, uh, yeah, Carlos sent it to me. I think Sarah posted it. But it was like, it's been several days, and they've not been able to not stop singing that song. It's just so catchy. Um, but the reason why I want to talk to you about it is because much like the characters in the movie, we try to hide and not embrace the things we perceive as weakness or vulnerability. So as we close out our series, Transformed, um, about emotionally healthy discipleship, let's talk about it. Let's talk about weakness and vulnerability. So I don't know if you've ever been at a job interview where they ask you this question, Share with us your strengths and your weaknesses. Have you? Okay. Yeah, you know, um, I, I just, it's hard for me. I can answer my strengths, no problem. But when it comes to sharing my weaknesses, I'm like, I, I really want this job. Um, so when I talk about my weaknesses, it's going to go something like this. Let's watch. Your greatest strengths as a manager. Why don't I tell you what my greatest weaknesses are? I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my job. Okay. And your strengths? Well, my weaknesses are actually strengths. Oh. Yes. Very good. There you go. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, it's, it's hilarious. So how many of you have actually answered that question honestly, like 100%? Okay, there's a few of you. Hats off to you. See, most of my job interviews happened early on in my life, and I had very little experience, and I was really trying to work hard, so I kind of fibbed a little, you know? Um, I wasn't going to tell them that I'm a procrastinator, I'd be like, I just work really well under pressure, you know? Like, I'm not going to tell them why. Um, see, but I think it's, it's hard to answer that question for some of us with 100% honesty because you only want to make known the part of you that people are going to like or the part of you, in this case, that the job needs. And because you're dressed to impress, usually at a job interview, um, you want to confidently reveal that you are the woman for the job or you're the man for the job. And what you would rather conceal is your weakness. And so you know too well the high value that culture places on strength and power. We know that the medals are given usually to the fastest and strongest athletes, it's those that come in first, not last. And so that idea stands in complete contrast 
to a man who finds himself in a place called, I always have trouble saying this, the Garden of Gethsemane. And the people present are the ones that he had led. The ones that um, have seen his power on display. And I want, want to draw your attention to this moment because it's in this moment where he could have confidently said, I am the man for this job. But in my paraphrase, he says, I am not the man for this job. And what this man Jesus actually says is found in the following verses. In Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39, you can open your Bible or your app or you can follow along. It says in verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus brought his disciples, his friends, into this moment of sorrow and trouble. And we read in verse 37 that he took Peter, um, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. See, this moment of sorrow and trouble, they had front row seats to this moment. They were in this moment with Jesus. Jesus was 100% honest about the sorrow that he was experiencing in front of the people he led, in front of the people that he discipled, in front of the people that he had influence over, in front of the people that he had done life with, and the people that he was called to. So maybe you're thinking vulnerability and weakness seem too risky. To say I love you first, yeah, that's a risk. I remember the first, I said it first to Carlos, and I was like, oh man, what did I just do? It's a risk. The willingness to do something where there are no guarantees, it's a risk. To let others see your brokenness, it's a risk. And see, to be vulnerable is to let people see your weakness, to allow the, your weakness to be known by others. See, Jesus led his disciples out of vulnerability and weakness. His sorrow did not go unseen. Jesus didn't hide it. Instead, in the midst of trouble and sorrow, he let it be shown. C.S. Lewis defines vulnerability like this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love anything, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Will Smith can probably say amen to that. Lock it 
up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will, not be, uh, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I love that definition. So here's a question that I think is worth your time to process. What keeps you from bringing the people God's called you to into your moments of sorrow, grief, and confusion? In other words, what keeps you from being vulnerable and weak in front of people that you lead? Because you lead. You lead your home, you lead your family, you lead your children, you lead your friends, you lead your colleagues. If you're a small group leader, you're leading the small group people. You're constantly leading. See, and last week, Anne shared with us a powerful message. If you haven't heard it, it's worth your time, about breaking the power of our past and how family has a huge influence on us. Well, in my family, who I love, mi familia, and I miss them dearly, we were often told, don't cry. No me llores. Don't cry. Don't be sad. Just suck it up. So we weren't really allowed to show that kind of emotion. I saw anger plenty of times, but not sadness or tears in any way. And see, and when Carlos and I decided to bring our family into our moment of sorrow and grief, days after Charlie Joy had been born, Charlie Joy is my daughter, it was really hard to do that. We were at OHSU. She was in NICU, and the doctors graciously allowed us to use their, one of their staff rooms for some privacy to coordinate a Zoom call with their family members. So, you know, it's my siblings, um, my mom and dad. And uh, we were sharing with them the news. You know, we hadn't really told people what the genetics test had shown. Um, we had told what we thought it might show, but I think we finally had to come to accept, like, this is it. Like, you had hoped that it wouldn't be, but it is. And in this moment, when we're sharing through Zoom, like, I'm telling my family, like, you know, we, we have this beautiful girl. She's three pounds, you know, Forgot how many ounces. Um, she's very small, but she's so cute. And she was born with an extra chromosome. And as I try to say the next line, I choked up. And as much as I didn't want to show them the emotion that I was feeling, because I had been struggling internally to accept this diagnosis, I... I I couldn't. So Carlos had to take over and use his broken Spanish to explain to my family. 
just kidding. It's not that broken. Um, what was going on? And see, it was really hard, and we're still learning what this diagnosis means, and there's so many doubts and fears and questions. I'm sure as parents, any parent can relate. Am I going to do this right? Is this going to work? What if, right? But we allowed our families to come into the moment, but it was hard. But what would the alternative be? The alternative to weak, to leading a life of weakness and vulnerability? Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, says it's leading a life that is proud and defensive. And see, this is what I want you to remember today. That to be real, you got to learn to reveal. And as a kid, I, I don't know about you, but as a kid, when I was on dish duty, and I would accidentally, because it wasn't on purpose, I would accidentally break a dish, a slap across the head and the back of the head, or a, no sirves para nada, or, you know, you can't do anything right, would come. And so I learned really quickly that I should not reveal the broken dishes that happened during dishwashing duty, but that I should discreetly get rid of them so that I wouldn't suffer the consequences. And see, I wasn't afraid of the wooden spoon. I was afraid of the chancla. Like, that's what it is in Latino, Latino culture. And so instead of learning to be real about my failures and mistakes and weaknesses, I learned to conceal them. And next time I broke in dish, I would discreetly get rid of it. But I want you to know this. It's so good to know that you, we, have a God that doesn't scold us for the broken pieces of your lives. He isn't out to punish you for your mistakes and failures because Jesus already bore that punishment on the cross. We have a great picture in a story that is found in the Bible in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And it's about a young son who left home, and he leaves home. He distances himself from his father, and he made some pretty grave mistakes. I mean, it's to the point where he is left homeless and broke, and he is desiring to eat the scraps that the pigs are eating. So when the son finally comes to his senses, and, and he decides to turn back to his father's house, Home, we, we see not only a son that leads out of vulnerability and weakness where he admits his failures, but we also see a father that reveals his emotion, his vulnerability. You see, there's something that the father does. And it says that he runs to meet his son. Now, I need you to pause and understand this about this story. In the first century, the time period of this, when the story is told, a Middle Eastern man never, ever ran. If he were to run, he would have to lift his tunic so that he wouldn't trip, and that would reveal or show his bare legs. 
And in that culture, that was humiliating. That was not okay. Yet he ran to meet his son, and he embraced and kissed him and completely restored him to be a son again. See, not only was the son willing to come with his brokenness and mistakes, but the father, too, was willing to be vulnerable in front of entire community. And for those of you that, that are parents and are leading your children out of weakness and vulnerability, I, I want to ask you this. In wanting to learn to reveal, do your kids have permission to fail? Because I think it's easier for you to conceal how you truly feel than to truly be real and process the anger, the sadness, the disappointment, the despair. But what I love about the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he is being real with how he feels. He doesn't conceal it. He reveals what's going on internally. We see a real human with real emotions. And he says this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus reveals to his friends, Peter, James, and John, what's going on. He says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. There is no pretense. There is no cover-up, no pride, no defensiveness, but just a reveal of the nudity of his soul. And one commentator says about this passage that Jesus' soul is so dissolved in sorrow that his spirit is filled with such agony and anguish that he's pretty much saying, I need succor. I need help. Because if not, it feels like death. And see, I had a chance to be at this place in Israel. And when I was there, I really tried to imagine the weight that Jesus must have been going through in that moment. The wrestling in his soul, what he knew was about to come. And see, the word in the original language is much stronger than the translated sorrowful word. It means to be pressed down, overwhelmed with great anguish. And Jesus allowed himself to be engulfed in this emotion, in this moment of distress, so much so that one of the authors of the Gospels writes, it was like sweat, like drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's how much he was feeling and processing what he was going through. It was pain upon pain. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. What was he doing? Not only did he reveal, not only did he tell them, hey, this is how I'm feeling. But he says, can you be with me in this moment? Can you stay awake? Can you share this moment with me? Be vigilant. Will you pray? Help me in seeking divine support for this moment. 
He was letting his friends know that he needed help. And that's what living a life of vulnerability is. It's saying, hey, I need help. It's learning to ask for help. And communicating our need for prayer is a way to be real and learn to reveal. Asking for prayer is the way to lay down our pride. It says, I can't do this unless I get help. And see, in verse 39, it goes on to say that going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed. And it's really important to note his posture. He falls face down to the ground. He doesn't hold it together. He falls apart before his friends and before his father. And Jesus offered the brokenness of his soul in prayer. See, friends, I want you to know that there is no need to hide your brokenness. Just as we see in the story of this young son that he kneeled, again, his posture, he kneeled before the father and offered himself. Broken as he was, he didn't try to hide the stink of sin and failure. It's not like me when my deodorant gives up on me. Man, and people are around, I am going to try to hide that stink. But see, the son didn't care. And his smell was probably worse than mine. He didn't try to hide it. He admitted to it. He confessed it. He surrendered. He kneeled. And what I love about God is that even though he has the power to do anything, he chooses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1.27. He chose to reveal himself as a baby. What's more vulnerable than a baby? Born in a messy place. He chooses a girl named Rahab, known as a prostitute, to include in the genealogy of his son Jesus. He chooses a man named Paul, who was known as a murderer. This same man, Paul, having education, status, citizenship, chooses not to boast about his accomplishments, not to brag on about all that he has done and all the visions he's received from God. Yet he says, I will boast about my weakness. I will boast. I will brag on. I will flaunt. I will strut. I will tell you about my weaknesses. That's what he chooses to do. And see, I think that God takes all the broken pieces of our lives, the weaknesses that sometimes we have a hard time embracing, and he uses them to show his power. 
in the book, <clears throat> the author talks about the Japanese art of kintsugi. And this art takes the broken pieces of pottery and joins them together with beautiful gold powder. And what this does, it actually makes the floss stand out. It allows the brokenness to be seen. It doesn't try to hide, but it shows it. And I thank God in a very similar way. He takes the broken pieces of her life, but instead of gold, he uses his grace to put our broken pieces back together. Because it is in our brokenness that God's power is seen. It is in our weakness that we see God's power. God's power and grace meets you in your failures. God means for your flaws and your weaknesses to be used to display His goodness and His mercy and His grace. And when you learn to reveal to dust with gold the brokenness, your weakness, that are part of your life, that's where the grace of God meets you. That's where you can say, like Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. So my question to you today is are you willing to learn to reveal by sharing your story of brokenness with others, by sharing your failures with others, by talking about where God has met you with his grace in your moment of weakness. And finally, we come to verse 39 where it says, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus wrestled with the temptation to avoid the cross. I don't know about you, but I wrestle. I wrestle with embracing suffering and embracing weakness. But see, in that moment of wrestling, when he was tempted to avoid the cross, to say, I am not the man for this mission, in the context of processing that deep pressure, it was there that God met him. It was there that God showed up. And God says to you today, my grace is sufficient for you. For the moments where you fail, my grace. For the moments of anger, my grace. In those moments where you're not feeling enough, my grace. In those moments of wrestling 
with temptation, His grace is sufficient for you. I want to invite you to close your eyes today. And I want to make an invitation. And this first invitation that I'm going to make is to those of you that maybe have wrestled with faith, have wrestled with receiving the gift of the salvation that Jesus offers to us. See, Jesus did not avoid the cross, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are that joy that kept him on that cross. It was a relationship with you. It was forgiveness of sins. The reason why Jesus was vulnerable on that cross so that you would know a relationship with God, that you would know forgiveness of sins. There was a willingness for Jesus to do something where there was no guarantees. There was no guarantee of your yes. But he was still crucified. So I want to invite you today, if you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, if you've never asked God for forgiveness of sins, it is available to you through the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. So if you're in this room or you're watching online and today you want to decide to say yes to Jesus. If you're in the room, I want you to look up at me so that I can agree with you. If you're online, will you follow the link that will appear so that you can let us know you made a decision for Jesus today? I see your eyes. Is that why you're looking at me? I agree with you. If there's anybody else in the room that today wants to make that decision for Jesus, look up at me so I know. Are you looking up at me? I agree with you. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. And the gift that you give is eternal life. So Father, thank you for those that made a decision for you today. Meet them there, Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you give. See, repentance is not a one-time but it's a daily practice where we come to God and say, Father, I need your forgiveness. Lord, help me. And now I want to invite everybody that's in the room or if you're at home to prepare the elements as we prepare to join in communion.
And as you take your cup and your bread, I want to invite you to be honest with the Father. I want you to take a moment and reflect about the moments of weaknesses that you've been living through. Because of the cross, there is forgiveness for your sins and mine. And you can turn to him. So as you take his body that was broken for us, as you take this bread that represents his body, as you take the juice that represents his blood, I want to invite you that before you partake, that you take a moment to reflect on the current weaknesses that you need his grace to show up. Because he meets you there. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. And Lord, as your Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the places where we need you, help us know that your grace meets us there and empowers us. Because in our weakness, you are made strong. You can partake. And when you're ready, you can drink of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And my hope today is that you would leave a knowing that you can trust God, surrender to Him, ask for His help, be real with what you feel, and learn to reveal it not only in the way that you lead your family and friends, but in the way that you approach God. And I don't know about you, but there is such joy that comes in knowing that Jesus has given us eternal life. There is joy in knowing that in Him, He takes our weaknesses and uses them to bring about good. So share your story because many people are yet to know about His goodness. Amen. Amen.